0: This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell.
1: Thank you for downloading the Challenging Opinions podcast for April 26, 2017. Every Monday, I'm bringing you brand new content, but for the next while on Wednesdays and Fridays, I'm including previous interviews in this feed, like this one with the presenter of the In The Thick podcast, Julio Ricardo Varela. Enjoy the interview.
0: Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or sceptic. What matters is the strength of your argument, not the strength of your voice.
1: Julio Ricardo Varela is the co-host of the In The Thick podcast, and he joins me on a Skype line now. Um, Julio, you're from a Latino background. I think it's fair to say you're from a liberal, progressive background as well. How do you feel about what you're seeing of the Trump presidency so far?
0: Um, well, I, I mean, as a reporter, I I, I think I kind of, you know, I I try to put my politics aside. I mean, I'm I'm an independent, and uh, so I try to look at it through the lens of what I'm seeing on the ground. And since I focused a lot on on Obama's immigration policies while he was uh, in in the presidency, there's been a lot of you know, criticism by the Latino community with, with President Obama regarding immigration and not having immigration reform passed when he had a democratically controlled Congress mm-hmm. and then he's known as the deporter-in-chief. And one of the things that I always say to people is that President Obama, you know, it's probably in the post-9-11 world, starting with President Bush and then President Obama, there's been an enforcement-heavy attitude with immigration in general. And it actually has its roots with Bill Clinton in 1994. Five. If you really start to break it down, in fact, Bill Clinton used used to run as being tough on the border, and a lot of the things that Bill Clinton said when he was running against Bob Dole, uh, Donald Trump has probably said as a variation. And so what what you're seeing now is is sort of what one immigration lawyer tells me, and I always use it, is that you know President Obama might have cooked the turkey, but Donald Trump is now eating it. And so what's happening now. Is with the immigration executive orders that you're starting to see a, a much heavier presence of enforcement by ICE. There are reports of raids. There's been a highly publicized deportation of a 36 year old mother out of, of Phoenix, Arizona, a mother of two who 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 got deported, and you see it on the national and the global media. So there is this sense of fear in the Trump administration, but it, but in fear but in, in that, the
1: administration or in the Latino community.
0: Fear in the Latino community. Thank you. Fear in the, by the Trump administration. But I also think it, it's sort of um, the Latino community, at least the immigrant Latino community. It, it's it's almost like this has been going on for years,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Trump is now going to accelerate it. So it, it it it's hard to tell, right? There is there a palpable fear in the stories that I cover. Absolutely. It do does it feel like the worst will happen before the there's There's legitimate immigration reform. Yes. Um, is it hard to, to understand where Trump is going? Yes. I mean, the situation with Mexico, it, it's just, you know, there, there's plenty of Latinos in the United States who, when you hear about the the notion of building a wall, it's just so unrealistic and it's not reality. Mm -hmm. And, and, and and that's where I think people kind of, it's, it's an easy, conversation to have when you say, oh, build a border wall, and then everything gets solved in America. That's just not true.
1: Okay, you seem to have a fairly realistic uh, understanding of it, and, and in particular that uh, also Democratic presidents like Clinton and Obama were responsible for, you know, relatively top, tough immigration policies. How do you square that with the level of reaction that a lot
0: of liberal, progressive people are displaying towards the election of Trump? Um, that's a great question. And, and one of the things that I try to do when I explain this is um, I just raise the facts and some of the facts are very uncomfortable for people. Uh, what you're seeing, at least in the post-election world, is I'd like to kind of break it down. There's sort of this sort of establishment reaction amongst progressives that feels like, you know, Trump is the enemy and that you know, they're talking about Nordstrom bags and conflicts of interest, and you know, is he is he making money? Is it all valid valid stories? But I think that the air uh, when you look at sort of sort of the progressive wing of Washington, there's a lot of focus on that. And I'm looking at it from sort of a you know a perspective of a Latino les person of color lens. The reality is, a lot of these policies are are, in, are immediately affecting Latinos in this country. When you start talking about, you know, so it, 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 what I see is like two levels here. There's sort of this, um, and this is where it gets into sort of like this privileged opinion of of progressives that sometimes they feel uncomfortable when when fellow people of color who are progressive call out white progressives. That's a very uncomfortable conversation to have. And and it's justified. It's very justified, I think. Give me an example. Well, for example, you know, I I'll go back. I mean, I'll give you a specific example is like, if you look at my writings, if you look at what I've written politically, I mean, in in my political reporting, um, I was one of the guys raising their hand in the room saying, like, what's up? You know, do people really understand what the Obama administration has done with immigrant communities? Right. And I and and there were people that would tell me that I shouldn't be raising that issue. Right. So immigration lawyers who said, like, you know, that's not, you know, you should stay quiet. Right. But this is what was happening in the community. These were these were real stories. People were blocking vans and doing things, stopping, trying to stop ice raids six or five or six years ago, four, four years ago, three years ago. Mm-hmm. And and now you see a lot of these sort of progressive immigration lawyers who are now incredibly outraged that the Trump administration how dare they like raise these executive orders when you really if you really start looking at the and I'm talking about sort of the sanctuary city executive order and and the one about uh, you know, the border this wall. This is
1: where Trump is trying to fight back against cities like San Francisco, exactly. who are making themselves sanctuary cities. He's trying to essentially sanction them and hit them with financial penalties for not conforming with federal uh, his, his federal intentions. Right,
0: but the thing is, these didn't come out of the blue. You know, the Secure Communities program that was, under, you know, that was still alive during the Obama administration. Um, the, the, the Miller, you know, the the, the enforcement heavy policy of 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 the immigration ICE system you know when you talk about 2.5 2. million people being deported in 8 years you know the, the machinery is already there it's it's already there so so the question and so people think it's a false equivalency when in fact it really isn't and that's the problem that's the part that makes people feel uncomfortable a little bit when when someone like me who actually goes out in the community and actually talks to voices and actually says you know what there's a reason why there weren't a lot of Latinos who were kind of quote unquote into Hillary Clinton. Because if you look at, you know, one of the things that people would tell me is when, when the Central American migrant crisis was happening in 2014, she went on CNN, then secretary, secretary Clinton at the time. I don't think she was secretary then, but it was before she was running for president. She went on CNN and said that a lot of these kids need to go home. And, and there were certain things that. Many young Latinos, and I'm talking about young millennial Latinos, who were looking at someone like Clinton and saying, "Why did she have to say that?" Mm-hmm. So, so that's where I'm. That's where this, like, you know, what what the Democratic Party missed this time around, at least with with young Latinos, and and and, and, then, and then which is what I predominantly cover, is that the campaign was against Trump, and it actually wasn't for the community. So, so, so they thought that you know, and I was one of the first who wrote about what. Trump said about rapists and criminals and all that other things that got him in trouble and thinking that this would just wake up the Latino populace. So I'm I'm at you know, I thought it would wake it up. But there was still there's something in me throughout the campaign where I saw that the love or the support for Hillary Clinton, particularly amongst young Latinos, wasn't as strong when it came to the, the support for Barack Obama. Do you and think that- Do you think do you think
1: Julio that a lot of what Trump was saying? Was essentially mood music rather than specific policy uh, proposals. And if you were to take them as specific policy proposals, they would come across as complete nonsense. But that mood music turned uh, made him appeal to a specific demographic of white voters. It made him more toxic to a to uh, particularly Latino people spe- specifically when he was talking about Mexicans. But that. Uh, yeah. Immigrants who you're talking to and talking about here, they, while they might notice the difference in tone, they're not uh, expecting to see a very big difference in policy.
0: Um, I guess the point being is that uh, let's not. The one thing about Trump is, yes, he, you know, he based his campaign demeaning <laughs> a people. I mean, that, whatever you say and demeaning the community. That's how it started. And and what you know, when you look at that, and even though it's mood music, it led to so many other enabling of saying it's okay to blame the other. Right. And I think that's something that when you look at Trump's campaign, that's what it was. It was a question of like, you've lost your job and now we have to blame other people. And it's very easy to create. And what's really interesting about the Trump, if you really, really break down his type of speech. And, and and I bring up the specific example of what he even, he does this all the time. And, and I tell this to anyone who wants to hear this, but really notice when he starts talking about terrorism, immigration, and crime. So it's it's almost like a three point, it's a tripod of talking points. So there's high crime in America. What's going on with Chicago, right? Which, you know, you can you can break down all the stats and we can talk about that and say that a lot of what Trump says is just not true. But let's just go with his argument, right? So I'm going to protect you. There's high crime in America. What's going on with Chicago? It's all about the drugs. I'm going to stop the drug cartels. That's why we need a secure border, because we've got to protect ourselves from terrorists. Mm-hmm. And so, what, so what's happened is that it's, what Trump has been done from a campaign, and, and I have to say, you know, whether I, you know, obviously, I do not agree with, with it, right, because I think it's incredibly false and it's not true, but that's the narrative, right? So he has been able... To, to ensure to the American people that the best way to stop ISIS is, be, is, is to create a border wall. And a border wall is not only going to stop ISIS terrorism, because obviously all Mexicans are terrorists, and that's where all the ISIS is coming from, um, but it's also going to stop the drug use in America, right? So, so, it, so it's going to – which leads to the fact that it leads to more death and leads to more crime in America. Now, we all know that the, the greatest market for drugs – is the United States of America. So when you look at it from, from the perspective of Donald Trump saying stopping the supply, it, you know, it's classic economics. Like, let's worry about the supply and the demand will go away. That's not true. It's like, you got to deal with both of them. And, and that's the difference of all this. So, so when Mexico says, you know, stop, you know, it, it, stop the use of illegal guns coming into the, to Mexico, because no one talks about that, right? No one talks about the fact that guns, the United States, sends guns to Mexico to actually fund the cartels. No one no one talks about the fact that banks in America launder for the cartels. But it but it's always it's always Mexico's fault as opposed to the fact that there's a lot of people in the United States that want to get high. Sure Julio, Julio what you're saying
1: is very logical and very rational and I accept probably mostly true. But isn't there a problem that if you are trying to use a logical argument to defeat an irrational feeling you it's yes. not going to work
0: that's that's the new that's what i'm saying my saying is like when all these you know you look at all these rational like let's look at these arguments and and look at it from this perspective and let's look at the fact that you know crime statistics are down yes that's the thing what is happening in the united states of america is particularly in politics particularly with the trump campaign is that the, the Everything goes out the window. People will believe that what Trump has done is be able, there's plenty of supporters in the United States of America who trust what Trump is saying. Actually, I want to I want to just bring
1: up a couple of things on that. If you look at places like Macomb County in Michigan, yeah. and, and I'm looking at a Guardian article, and I put a link to this in, in the notes for the podcast. They sent a report around there, all this was a, a county that essentially swung Michigan for Trump. It was a county right. that previously heavily voted for Obama, but all the people there think that Trump is doing a great job. Yeah. And that's that's not f- the impression you'd get if you were reading the New York Times, which. Trump talks about frequently, or if you're reading, you know, um, Salon or the Huffington Post, you would imagine that America is probably days away from a coup when uh, Trump is going to be overthrown in a popular popular uprising. Isn't this a weakness on the liberal side? That they're perhaps a little bit like the Tea Party eight years ago, they're deluding
0: themselves? It's an excellent question. And I actually think that there's a lot of media. Like the problem right now with the American media is that there's a lot of emphasis on what Trump is saying and doing and and reacting to, as opposed to let's look at the policies. Let's look at what does this actually mean to America. And and so what they what you see now. So it's a perfect example. Like you you bring up the Guardian article, and it's a mm-hmm. perfect example because there is this perception, right? because he's doing executive orders, he started where, you know, we're, we're, we're well kind of into the 100 days, we see, uh you know, we see him on television every day, he's signing executive orders, you have a White House press corps that is there. So there is an there's a notion of there's a notion of the fact that of normalcy, right? So so he is. So to say what you say about Trump, the Trump presidency is taking advantage to its to its an advantage and and actually doing a, a, a pretty pretty formidable job in using the power of 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 the of of the presidency to be able to say if I sign something every day, photo op, it's gonna go out on social media, my supporters are going to see me as decisive mm-hmm. and, and leadership. So that is something that you you cannot underestimate. Because in this day and age People are going to want to believe what they want to believe. So when they see someone, they, they see power, right? Now, from a democratic perspective, like, what does that mean? Because what, what, what you get to a point where you look at the opposition, for example, um, what, what the tactics of the democratic party right now, they're fighting. You know, Trump has Trump has, you know, the main weapon and they're using sticks and stones. So you look at the leadership of the Democratic Party right now and it's old. It's out of touch. It's I'm, it's,
1: I'm not finding.
0: Yeah, like there is none. So, like, you know, I always say that. And, and and so when you look at someone like someone like Senator Schumer comparing to Donald Trump, it doesn't compare. It's like I mean, I, I try to put it in in a perspective of, you know, it's like a fifth division, you know, Football team, soccer team playing a first division soccer team was like you're just not going to make it. It's like a bad FA Cup. Yeah, so the one, thing one is, other
1: thing, that- one other thing, julia I want to ask you about is um the alt right. And we had Vox Day, who was one of the the preeminent uh, alt right bloggers on the podcast at the end of last year. Right. He is very open in his racialized view. I wouldn't necessarily call him a racist, but he certainly sees. Political struggles in the United States on a racial basis, and uh, his view was that the Republicans is the are the party for the white people, the Democrats are the party for everyone else. Is there a danger that that might become true?
0: Um, I don't think. I mean, is there a danger? I I, I don't get in predicting anymore now that Donald Trump is the presidency, but but I think like there is this sense of resent, resentment and that. As the United States becomes more racially mixed and racially diverse and different, and the Browning of America is seen as a reality, there are plenty of people who are going to see that as a threat. And they're going to, you know, and they're going to hunker in their little bunkers and kind of say, this is not good for me. America's always, you know, the change in America has always happened through tension. You know, you look at history of America. It's 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 been a history. It's, there's not been a you know. People talk about a peaceful history of America. It's not been a peaceful history. When you look at major impactful changes, I mean, we did have a civil war over a big social change based on race. What is the opinion in the Latino community about the alt right? About the alt right? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I don't think that there's many alt right Latino writers, are there? I mean, I, I haven't I haven't come
1: across them, but but but, people... but here's the thing.
0: Yeah, they, their hand they,
1: they, and think this is just kind of another fad or do they think this no, is a serious threat?
0: I think there's a, I think, I think what you're seeing is there people sense it as Latinos being demonized and being misunderstood. And there is a racialization, you know, they're, they've been told straight up. I mean, you, you don't belong here. You are, you know, there is a sense of, a superiority here, which, which, when you think about it, when you really think about it, it shows how out of touch some of these perspectives are with what it is to be a Latino in America.
1: Because how, how do you how do you react to how do you react to Vox Day's assertion, for example, that immigrants, particularly Catholic or non-Protestant uh, immigrants, cannot be truly American unless they
0: completely abandon their culture. That's what, what does that mean? What's culture in America in 2000? What does that mean? I mean, I can go down the road where I am and, and, and get tacos from a taco truck. Is that American culture? Like, what, what does that mean? What does American culture mean to someone of, of that perspective? Because that that's the question. I mean – there, is it longing well, for a kind of European culture?
1: But but is it is there something some truth in what he's saying that you can't have multiple competing cultures long term in a country without conflict?
0: That's not true. I mean, but but, but the thing is, I grew I've grown up in in I've grown up in this country. I'm from Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, what, like it's it's the perception of what culture means to someone like that. Right. If it's a, if we're talking about a European Protestant white culture, um, that, that boat left a long time ago in the United States. Like, and, and, and th- this doesn't have, see, the problem is it's like, when you say, when you get into the notion of like, well, you're not from here because you don't quote unquote assimilate. That's where I take issue with everything. It's like, I can talk to you in Spanish right now and turn over and, and just begin to talk to you in Spanish. I'm a native Spanish speaker. I'm bilingual. I'm bicultural. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, I've gone to some of the top schools in this country. So what does that mean? I I am not part of this country because the the problem is, it's like for me, it's like if I if I meet myself with someone like that, it's laughable. It's laughable, like to to have someone think that I have to pertain to a culture that I have quote unquote not assimilated. No, I've brought whatever I've done, and I decide. I'm. This is what makes America great. In in essence, is the freedom to do whatever the hell you want. And I think that's that's the problem is that. There's this complete misperception that anyone who celebrates a culture that's not white or is not European or is not not American. And that is the most un-American comment that I've ever heard. Julio Ricardo Varela, thank Thank you very much for talking to me. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Do you agree? Do you disagree? If you want your point of view heard, email podcast at challengingopinions.com and say what you think.
1: That's all for the Challenging Opinions podcast, published on April 26th, 2017. I have links in the show notes to Julio's In The Thick podcast and references to other things we discussed in the interview. Do you know somebody else who I should interview? What topics should I be covering? I'd really be interested to hear your feedback. And if you like the podcast, there's one thing that you could do that will really help other people to find it go on iTunes, give the podcast a rating and write a short review. There's a link on the website directly to the iTunes page. Also, please like the show on Facebook. On Twitter, you can follow the show at ChallengingO. You can also follow uh, Julio at Julito77. And most importantly, Subscribe to the show. It's free. You can use iTunes if you have Apple device or Google Play Music if you're on Android or there's an RSS feed there as well if you use some older software like me. You can find all of those or get in touch with me right at www.challengingopinions.com Coming on Friday, that's April 28th, I'll have an interview with Claire Berlinski. She's a journalist, a historian and an author. The Changing Opinions podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Thank you for listening.